Welcome to the First Pres Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.20, 9.45, and 11.10. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Hear me now? Oh, yes. Um, did you guys recognize Chuck's voice in that video? Chuck Fowler? Yeah, he did a really nice job. And um, I just want to use that time to say thank you, Matt, Ben, Austin, who created a video, and just folks that are working behind the scenes to make sure that we do Sunday well, that we, we, we worship God well, which is on the, one of the visions Tim has set for us. Um, my name is Yemi. I am the Minister of City Engagement and Worship. Um, we did have a really great service at the Aspen Room, and I, we're just so lucky. Everything just went so well and so smoothly. There was good energy, and um, I am looking forward for this body to be in that new worship center. I think it's just going to be great, and the, potentials, the potential is endless. So um, the invitation to you is um, there's a lot of opportunity. If there's someone of people, neighbors, or family members, coworkers that you've been thinking, hey, I should invite them to join us on Sunday. This is, this is the moment. Um, let us pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. This is your day. Um, the Sabbath day, we were obedient and keeping it holy. We we're putting you first. We we're putting each other as a family of God first. And we come here to learn, to gather under your direction, to seek alignment and encouragement and inspiration and hope uh, for tomorrow and beyond. So be with us, Jesus. Help us to be aware of your presence that is ever so present with us. Speak to us, Lord. May my words be your words. Um, Give me insight, Lord, beyond things that um, I have planned. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said? Amen. Um, Last Sunday, Tim opened opened our new series called Movement, our new eight-week series, And this Sunday, we're going to continue in that journey with um, a focus on God's deliverance um, of us from captivity. Some of you guys know this story. Some of you guys may not know the story, but I moved to Colorado Springs six years ago, just a little over six years ago, to plant a church called The Movement. And I know, so funny, it is, it really is. And so I am actually thrilled to be talking about something that's so dear to my heart. And I, it was seven years ago, I was uh, living in Indiana, South Bend, Indiana, a community that I've grown to love for 13 years. That became home to me, where I met my wife. And um, I was working at a large church, um, very comfortable. It was, I was at a place of influence, leading people, teaching, doing music. And then Jesus just had to disrupt my life like he does. And it was a good thing. It was a good thing that he did because um, I wouldn't be here today. But one of, the, one of the, the tension I was feeling at the time was asking questions about church. Is, is going to church and putting together a good worship service it? And I was so disturbed in my spirit that I felt like I just needed to be obedient to where the Spirit of God was leading at the time. And he he specifically told me, you know, to trust him. And what that led to was me resigning from my job without anything next. 
It was a moment. I, I, that's not who I am. I grew up in a family where I've been, you have a backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan. And that decision of trust led me to move to California for a year and then to Colorado Springs. And in, when I was living in, Cal, in California, I reconnected with a friend and we were asking the questions of why church? What is a church? You know, why do we go to church? And we kept landing on the same word, move, move. God is on the move. Genesis 1, 2, the Spirit of God is hovering, moving over the face of the earth. Um, Aslan is on the move, and uh, witch's power is weakening. We kept realizing that the church is a movement, is this thing that can't be contained, is the power of God just outside of the four walls to change our context and move to Colorado Springs to start that um, church. And I'm thankful I did. Our text today is 2 Corinthians um, 1, 8 to 14. If you have your Bibles, there are also Bibles in front of you, or you have your smart devices, I encourage you to read along. I'm going to invite you to a posture, an ancient posture of when God's word is being read, we all stand, for it is God who's speaking before the, the pastor or the teaching uh, minister uh, explains, give their own unique explanation. So this is God's word from 2 Corinthians 1, 8 to 14. Hear the words of the Lord. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the trouble we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As he help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let me give you a little bit of context of this letter. Paul is writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. And letters in that time period when they were written often included a brief narrative section of the events that were going on around the time the letter was written. So in Paul's letter, we, we learn about troubles and hardship that he and his disciples experienced in the Roman province called Asia at the time, now called modern Turkey. Some scholars argue that Paul was writing from prison and Paul, who is no stranger to be in jail for his missionary work, was again in captivity. Prison in first century Rome were called the house of darkness. They were pretty much dungeon. So whatever, you whatever comes to your imagination when you think of a dungeon, that it's exactly Paul's experience. That's what he saw. It said probably Paul occupied a, a dark, dank, dirty lower chamber 
It was a neglected place. It was hideous and had just a really, really horrible stench. And they weren't just prisons, but these places actually served as holding cells awaiting execution or trial for execution. Now, while I don't think any of us can relate to Paul's plight, um, even our prison systems are way better than that, the reality is that none of us in this room are strangers to the feeling of captivity, to what it feels like to feel like your world is dark or you're in a holding cell or the things or people, experiences that have us in a holding cell. Or you feel captive to something or someone or a sinful habit or desire. And Jesus himself in John, John 8 actually uses the word being a slave, captive to sin. Um, maybe we're captive to repeated bad habits we wish we could stop. Or we're captive to fear. Um, I think of the fear of the unknown, maybe even the fear of the known, fear of the past failures, fear of the future, fear of what others might say or think. Apostle Paul himself in another text uses the word being a slave to fear, being captive to fear. And we sing the song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God, as a way to remind us that we're not captive to fear, or you're maybe captive to something or someone, someone hurt you, someone betrayed you. Another way of saying it is that we're stuck. I love the, I love the imagery we heard from the kid's sermon, that we're stuck. What has you stuck? What person has you stuck? What experience has you stuck right now? Maybe there's a one thing in your life wish never happened that you would give anything to change that story. Where are you stuck? Maybe it's a career, a family member, relationship status, or past experience. Sometimes I think we're stuck to, in our own cultural way of life that is in stark conflict with God's kingdom, God's way of life. We face the pressure of success in this world. We feel the need to feel comfort and safety at all times. Sometimes we're captive to the, uh, to the latest trends, materialism. And we're even captive to our own political ideologies. And yes, I went there. <laughs> On both sides, we are. But friends, I bring you good news of great joy. You are free. You are free. You are free, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. John 8, 36. Let us zero in on the text, the very specific verse for the day that Tim McConnell, our lead pastor, has really pressed into. And this is found in verse 10. So if you have your smart devices or Bible, I'm going to read this again. Verse 10, he, God, has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he, God, would deliver us again, and on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. See, our first point that Apostle Paul is saying, not just to the church of Corinth, but to the church of Colorado Springs, is that God has delivered you. You are free. It is finished. It is done. God sent his son to deliver us, to save us, John 3, 16. 
Jesus came into our world. We just rehearsed it and celebrated that. We call it Advent and Christmas. Jesus came into our world. He arrived into a world of people living in bondage, and he lived a life that we couldn't live. He died a death that you should have died, and he conquered a grave that you couldn't conquer. Jesus paid the debt that you and I couldn't pay. And we sing that to remind ourselves, Jesus paid it all. I mean, we sing these songs to remind us of of this truth. Friends, it's done. You are free. Even if you choose not to believe it or you're having a hard time accepting that truth, the reality is it is done. You are free. It doesn't change the truth. I love that Jesus made it very clear from the beginning of his ministry. Right from the beginning, we find in Luke 4. I mean, Jesus, we hear the story of Jesus being tempted, and now he's in the temple, and the scroll is handed to him. It's his turn to read the scripture. He stands up and reads from, and reads from Isaiah in Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what Jesus is reading. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all who are oppressed, to proclaim the, years, the year of the Lord's favor. That is the year of jubilee. And in verse 20 it says, Jesus rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, and sat down. Every eye was intent on him. Then he looked up at them and said, you have just heard this scripture make history. It came true just now and in this place. Mic drop. It's fulfilled. Jesus, Jesus was reading the words that was prophesied about him by the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying it just came true. Here I am. My mission is to set the captives free. And the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, if you don't know about that holiday, uh, that holiday or holy day, it was a major feast that God gave his people, major holiday. This holiday was so big that it changed the whole social construct of the land of Israel. God told his people on this holiday, proclaim liberty throughout the land to everyone. Slaves and prisoners will be freed of debts, debts will be forgiven, and the mercies of God will be evident to everyone. Leviticus 25. You are free. God has delivered you. Friends, it's done. You are free. Even if you choose not to believe it, you're having a hard time accepting that truth. The truth is you have been free. And while I say that, I want to be the first one to admit that I don't always feel free. It is true I am free, but I don't always feel free. But it's another journey. It's another step learning to live as a free person. We must learn to live as free people. How many of you guys have seen the movie Shawshank Redemption? Isn't that a, such a great movie? And this scene that I'm about to talk about opens up with Brooks. He holds a knife to one of his friends. And this was actually an unusual behavior for this elderly man who's gentle. He takes care of the prison library. He has a bird that he feeds on a regular basis. There was chaos. 
Very unusual behavior for Brooks. And when things calm down, we find that actually Brooks is given parole. He's free. He's released from prison, and he freaked out. You see, Brooks had been in prison for 50 years, and that's all he knew. He was so used to living in captivity practically his whole life that the thought of living a normal life was actually scarier. Upon being released from Brooks, from prison, if you remember the movie, Brooks finds out that the world outside prison, it's different. It's so foreign. He notices everything is faster. Technology is advanced. He even tried to get a job, and that didn't work out. Though living in prison wasn't ideal for this man, he'd gotten so used to it and became the, his normal that the experience of living as a free person was so foreign. Morgan Freeman's character read, when, a, when somebody else said, Brooks is crazy, he has a bug. This is what Red says. Brooks has no bug. He has just been institutionalized. He has been here for 50 years. You see, these prison walls are so funny. First you hate them, then you get used to them. Enough time passes and you depend on them. Maybe that sounds familiar. You are free. Christ has set us free from our captive thoughts, pain, experiences, but learning to live as free men and women can feel foreign. It's a whole new experience. And for as much as we hate the pain, enough time has passed by that we've gotten used to them. We've been institutionalized. Many of you are aware that my wife and, and I, our journey of international adoption, we're in the process of adopting a little boy. His name is Dawit. Um, he's from Ethiopia. And by the way, we're also having a little girl in May. So our lives are about to change radically. Thank you. <laughs> so our lives are about to radically change this year. Um, but Dewey is in an orphanage. Um, we can't wait to bring him home, to give him our last name, to give him a new identity, um, to change his story. And part of the process of adoption, what the ex one of the expectations is asking you to go through classes and training so that we're ready for the realities of bringing home a child who has been exposed to trauma at such a young age. So one of the things that we're being prepared for are post-orphanage behaviors that may emerge when Dewey, after the week comes home. So post-orphanage behaviors are often, for the most part, negative behaviors that adopted kids exhibit because of their history living as orphans and being without family. And one that we hear quite often has to do with food, food anxiety or insecurity. After, actually, after the 945 service, a couple of families who have adopted came up to me and said, we've experienced the exact same thing. And what I mean by food anxieties or insecurities are when kids are not fed regularly or they don't know when their next meal we will come from, they get anxious. So food insecurities can actually color a child's relationship with food and can lead to behaviors such as stealing, hiding, or hoarding food, 
or eating in excess to the point of vomiting. So the reality is, Abby and I are bringing DeWitt home. He's going to be with us. He's no longer going to be in an orphanage. We're physically changing his location. We're setting him free. We're bringing him into love, to community, to safety, to security. But the reality is, while DeWitt is home, his ongoing challenge is going to be to stop living as an orphan. We will remind him that he's loved and that he's safe. But we will begin this process of learning learn to live as a son and not just as an orphan anymore. So regardless of the behavior, it doesn't change the fact that he's no longer an orphan. He's at home with us. He is free. He's rescued. He's loved. I hope you're seeing the connection there. And this is us to God. This is Christ. We are free. He has freed us. But learn to live as free men and women. It's a journey. It's a process. In Galatians 5.1, Apostle Paul says, Christ has freed us so that we may, we may enjoy the benefits of freedom. Therefore, be firm in this freedom and don't become slaves again. You are free. You just need to work out the freedom, work out your salvation. Embrace the new, learn to live as free women and men. It might feel foreign for a while. I want to encourage you in this new year to press into where the Spirit may be inviting for some of you. New habits, places, experiences. I invite you into courage. Courage, friends. Courage, mom. Courage, dad. Courage, people. The old is gone. Embrace the new. We sing it. My chains are gone. I've been set free. So that is the point I'm making. Your freedom has already been won. Now we must learn to live as free men and women. And my second and final point is, now go carry this message of freedom to everyone and everywhere. The message that freedom has been won. This is what it means to be the church. This is what it means to be the movement. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. It's his church. We don't build churches. That is Jesus' job. He will build his church, his ecclesia, and the most powerful forces of hell will not stop it. When Jesus utters these words, it's the first time we find the word ecclesia used in the New Testament. The word ecclesia is a unity of two other Greek words, ek and kaleo. Ek means out of, kaleo means called. So that is one way of looking at the purpose of the church, of the ecclesia, that we're out called, we're called out for a purpose. It kind of puts a missio, a missional posture to our purpose here. That the end is not just a gathering. And we come together so that we can go out and be Jesuses to our city, our neighborhoods, and the places God has put us. So that's one way of looking at it. We are called out for a purpose. But a lot of times when you hear the word ecclesia in the in New Testament, it also refers to an assembly, a gathering, a group of people. A group of people scattered throughout the globe. God's people, his people scattered throughout the globe. So when Jesus says, I will build, not my building, my group of people, my assembly of my people scattered all over the globe. Because the world needs us around. The world needs us everywhere. They need little Jesuses everywhere. 
So we, we, we gather to scatter, and we gather to scatter, and we gather to scatter. We gather to worship God, to hear God's word, to praise him, lift him up, to hear his word, to be inspired, to be realigned, to have hope. And then we scatter to extend that hope and that freedom to a world that needs it. The church is not a monument. The church is not a building. The church is a movement. And make no mistake, we are indeed excited about that new place and the potential of what the worship center means for our influence as a church. The space becomes a tool to accomplish the mission God has given us. The place, space becomes a sacred place that God scattered people during the week actually gather on Sunday for a realignment, a place where the glory of God is felt. But one of the most important purpose of that space is to be launched back out to Monday through Saturday. Will you carry this message into our city? And when I say message, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that the kingdom is both proclamation and demonstration. Like good news, for good news to be good news, it needs to be shown. Because news means something has happened. You know, something happened, it's why we have news. If it never happened, it's a lie. So we demonstrate God's kingdom. We have a show me faith. God is big, show me. God loves you, prove it. God has come to set you free. What does that look like? So as we extend the good news, we're called to demonstrate it. And aren't we thankful that God didn't just love us with words? We don't read that. You know, God loves us, that's about it. In Romans 5 it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us. It was action-oriented. That while you and I were sinning, Christ died for us. Earlier I stated that if the mission that Jesus, is, Jesus was clear from the very beginning that his mission was setting the captives free. And if that's the mission of our Lord and Savior, shouldn't that be ours? If that was his purpose, shouldn't that be our purpose? After all, discipleship is about imitating him. Here's something to think about. What if your salvation, what if the purpose of your salvation, the purpose of you coming to Christ, if you remember that journey, that story, what if salvation was not the end but the beginning? What if your salvation is to launch you and launch your mission as agents of advancing God's kingdom? When you became a Christian, you joined a movement that Jesus has been growing for the past 2,000 years. You're part of a dynamic growing movement that is demonstrating freedom to our world. Now go, be the church. Church, I commission you. Your freedom has been won. Now go tell it. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for um, the freedom that is in you. Thank you for sending your son into our world to set us free from bondage of sin, habits, fears, and insecurities. Now we pray, give us grace to dedicate our freedom to your movement that we and all people may be brought to the glorious liberty of what it means to be children of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at first-prez.org.